Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. We're going to do something special this podcast, because the holidays are a particularly challenging time for writers. You know, we all do our best as writers when we get into a rhythm. But during the holiday season, that rhythm can be really hard to maintain. Your schedule gets jammed up, you got Christmas parties, you got gifts to buy, you got family visits, you got stress, and you've got a little too much vacation time. And the next thing you know, you haven't written for a month. And of course, that's not even the real problem. The, the real problem is getting started up again. Ideally, you want writing to be part of your daily routine. You want it to be as natural for you as brushing your teeth, getting dressed for work, drinking your morning coffee. But for most writers, this is rarely the case. Many of us write in fits and starts, waiting for those moments of inspiration, and spending most of our time beating ourselves up when the inspiration doesn't come. And then just when we get started on a new rhythm, something happens to interrupt it. I'm always amused when I participate in writing panels because there's invariably a young writer who asks, how do you know when you're really a writer? And what you get to do then is you get to watch famous writers lie. You get to watch one panelist after another tell them what real writers do is write. You know you're a writer when you write. Having worked as a writer for most of my professional life, I can tell you that that's not the truth. It doesn't really matter if you're an Academy Award winner or a first-time writer. Most of what writers do is not writing. What writers really do is procrastinate. Writers are brilliant at finding really important tasks to interfere with their writing. You set aside a couple minutes to write and suddenly those dirty dishes really start to call to you. And the next thing you know, you've cleaned your whole kitchen, scrubbed your shower tiles to a sparkling sheen, reorganized your closet, updated your Facebook photos, and you've still not written a single word. You're mad at yourself, but at the same time, there's a part of you that feels like you just didn't have a choice, like time just got away from you. And then what you start to do is punish yourself. You tell yourself, you know, I'll write for twice as long tomorrow. Maybe you wrote for two hours today. You're like, four hours tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and four hours seems like an impossible amount of time. Even if you do manage to bang out a few pages, it's hard to get any joy when you're feeling like that. And the next thing you know, you've gone a whole week, month, or maybe even a year without writing. Under these circumstances, it's really easy to doubt if you're a writer at all. You may even be tempted to give up on writing entirely. You may feel so blocked that you don't see any way out. But at the same time, you know that giving up on writing would be giving up on the best part of yourself. So what are you supposed to do? I'm here to tell you that the difference between successful and unsuccessful writers is not that one group never procrastinates or that one group never gets blocked. The difference is that successful writers are better at managing their procrastination. Successful writers are better at maintaining their creative rhythm, even when the inspiration is not flowing. So today's podcast is actually going to take place in two parts. First, I have a special guest appearance by Jessica Hines. Jessica teaches the meditative writing and the craft classes at our studio. And if you don't know about meditative writing, it is one of the most extraordinary tools that I've experienced as a writer. Jess actually taught this technique to me. 
uh, at a time when I really did not expect my writing to get shaken up and changed again. And I can tell you that it was hugely transformative for my writing, and I hope that it will be for yours. So Jess is going to start off with a little lecture talking about what you can do and how you can use some meditative writing techniques over the holiday period to keep your writing in flow. The second part of this podcast is a challenge. And this is an old thing that I used to do when I first started the studio that I'm very excited to bring back. So this is a screenwriting challenge, and here's how it's going to work. On January 1st, the first day of the new year, I want you to go out and buy yourself a really beautiful journal. Spend some money. Buy something that speaks to your personality, something that makes you feel like a writer. Think of it as an investment in something that you are going to use every single day. And then starting on January 2nd, what I want you to do is I want you to write a page a day, just one. It doesn't have to be a good page. It doesn't have to be a great page. It doesn't even have to be an average page. It can be a terrible page. But what I'm going to ask you to do is for 20 days straight to show up at your journal and do some writing. You can do this writing quickly. Set your clock to wake up seven minutes early. And as soon as you open your eyes, grab your journal and start writing. Take seven minutes to write as much or as little comes out and do it badly. Don't worry about making it good. This is not anything that anybody else is going to read. What we're actually working on here is building a rhythm. So don't worry about editing. Don't worry about planning. Don't worry about thinking. Just go ahead and write whatever comes out as quickly as you possibly can. It may be a scene, it may be parts of a scene, it may be a line of dialogue or a monologue or just thoughts about your character. But this is not journal writing. This is creative writing. So I want you to pick a character and I want you to play with them. It may flow together or it may not flow together at all. Don't try to make it good. Just allow your first instincts to find their way onto the page. Writing nonstop at the quickest pace that you can keep. And don't worry about finishing. You only have seven minutes, so whatever you leave unfinished can become a part of the starting point for the next day's writing. You're going to repeat this process every day for 20 days, writing for seven minutes every morning first thing, until writing is such a natural part of your daily routine that it occurs without even thinking about it. You may find yourself continuing one storyline or writing a new one every morning. If you get stuck... Rewrite the scene from the day before from memory. It's not important what you write. It's important that you write. It's this rhythm that's going to make you a writer. So, so if you sleep through one day, find seven minutes to catch up later. Take your journal with you on the subway. Lock yourself in a bathroom at work. Stay up seven minutes later that night. And notice how that seven minutes in the morning sets you thinking about your writing all through the day. Notice how the work that used to tear you away from your writing now seems to be a place where your writing can kind of bubble in the background. Notice the scenes that come to you, the ideas about your structure, the desire that starts to grow in you throughout the day to find a few minutes to sit down and write. 
So on Sunday, January 8th, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., we are opening the entire studio to our community. We're going to have a day full of free writing events, free writing space. We're going to open all the classrooms and all the offices. We're bringing in all our different teachers to teach different writing exercises in one room. And in the other room, we'll have a silent writing space where you can just sit and write. It's going to be first come, first serve, but it should be a lot of fun. We're going to try to have as many chairs as we possibly possibly can. And if you want to come, please let us know. You can join the challenge and you can RSVP for the writing exercises and writing space. Again, it's first come, first serve, but we will cut it off at some point. So you can do that online at our website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash challenge. So that's January 8th. And then on January 20th, January 20th is actually a really special day for us because it celebrates a full year at our new space. If you followed my Build Out Your Script series of podcasts, you know what a journey it's been for us. And if you're a part of our community already, you know the extraordinary art and the extraordinary writing that is now happening at this new location. So we're incredibly proud. And we're going to have on January 20th, a giant party celebrating not only the end of the screenwriting challenge, but also our first year at our new space. So we hope that you can join us again. That will be free. Come meet writers like you, share stories about the challenge, talk to each other, network, and have a good time schmoozing with our entire community and our staff. So that will be January 20th at 7 p.m. And now, without further ado, here's Jessica Hines to talk to you about meditative writing and how you can use it to keep your writing going during the holidays. It started just as me being a weirdo and writing the way that I write, and I didn't even realize that I was meditating. And one day, Jake just asked me, what's your process? And I was like, this is my weird process. And he said, that sounds really cool. You should try teaching that. And I was like, I am a complete weirdo. Like, I am a freak. There's no way that this would work for anyone else. And he's like, well, let's just give it a shot. Um, and so I am very surprised that each year we teach and each class that we have, we have, you know, it started out being primarily screenwriters in the class because that's who we were working with. And then it became screenwriters and TV writers. And then it became screenwriters and TV writers and playwrights. And then we started getting poets and then memoirists and then novelists. And, and now even in our master class, I've got three singer-songwriters. I've got a journalist. I've got a stand-up comedian all the way through screenwriting, playwriting. And it's not surprising if I think about it, but I guess just originally since the concept of this came from how do I naturally sit down? And I think the reason why it works no matter what type of artist you are. And I would say artist because I feel like this probably would work for fine artists and musicians and dancers as well, is that it's completely process-based. Most of the time when you go into a class, it's very product-based. And that, it's easier to teach product-based stuff because you have this tangible thing in front of you. And a lot of the books that are written are about the product of the screenplay. But it goes back to that very wonderful saying of, give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach a man to fish, he can feed himself for the rest of his life. And that's sort of what the class is doing is it looks at writing from a point of view of psychology, uh, behavioral economics, neuroscience, cognitive behavioral techniques, neurolinguistic programming. And it really just says, what is this process of sitting down to be creative? How does it function in our brain? What really motivates us? What really gets in our way? And that if we can learn how to approach the writing and approach our creativity in a way that makes it 
as easy and regularly effective to do as brushing your teeth. If writing were as easy as brushing your teeth, what wonderful products would come about without ever having to polish up that product, right? If you just tell someone to write 300 screenplays, eventually they're gonna get good at screenwriting. So just by focusing primarily on the truth of how a human being sits down and approaches writing, it's completely adaptive to whoever is in the class. So I'm not teaching you my way. I'm not teaching you about the voices that come into my head. I'm asking the students and I'm saying, all right, when you sit down to write, what actually happens? When, when you have this urge to write and you have it in your calendar and then you go to sit down and then suddenly everything seems more important than writing and you end up cleaning out your closet, right? Really looking at what was the emotion, what was the image, what was the memory, what was the future projection that popped up into your head and then learning how to interact with your brain and the neural pathways that are unique to you in order to rewire them in a way that makes it easier for you to write. But that first comes from an awareness of what's actually happening in your body. So before I can even give you any tools, I have to figure out what's actually happening for you. And I think, again, that's the danger of books and why I think being in a class, you know, even if you find a book that helps you, the benefit of the class is you have this person in front of you that you can ask questions from where I, like, I'm never just gonna tell you, oh, you need to go do this. Because I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if your procrastination comes from uh, fear of the future, fear of repeating the past, or if it comes from the deep desire to rebel. My personal procrastination comes from the deep desire to rebel. It's highly attached to you know growing up in a strict religious household. And so I know how to interact with my procrastination in a way where I've set a system up where I'm happy when I start to procrastinate because it's what fuels me being able to work on multiple projects at once. So that's another part of meditative writing where we look at what's really going on in your processing and we either say, okay, how can we rewire your processing to create the writing process that you want? Or if it's something we can't really rewire, then how do we set you up? How do we set up the world around you in your writing process to actually benefit from that thing that you think is getting in your way? Let's first start with the languaging that we're using for writing because if you're saying to yourself, I need to write or I have to write today, you are chemically asking your body to make it harder for you to write. So just looking at the words that you use, think about the word have to. When you say the word, I have to do something, what comes up for you? You're like, uh, obligation, lack of control, I'm a child. If you say you have to do something, it also implies to your brain, what you're saying is I don't actually want to do this thing. I, I have to do this thing. And it's not really true because honestly, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to pay your taxes. Government might come after you, but that is still a choice. You don't have to eat dinner. You can go hungry. There is nothing you absolutely have to do. You always have a choice. And so when you recognize that choice, and I suggest that, again, if you want to chemically brace your body to be more excited to write, Whenever you are talking about your writing or anything you'd like to be doing more, this works for working out or going to the gym or eating healthy, watch for when you're about to say I have to or I need to and reframe the question for yourself to be actually more truthful to reality, which is to say I choose to. Don't wake up and say I have to write because I'm doing this challenge. You wake up and you say I choose to write. And when you honor that truth that it is a choice, now you feel empowered. You feel like you do have choices. You're like, oh, I'm a responsible adult. I'm a good writer because I am choosing to write even if I don't feel like it. 
Even if I'm hungover, I am going to choose to go and write. And that confirms for your body, it creates a little bit of a, a dopamine association with you writing, which is great because now your body is primed to say, ooh, writing is fun, writing is a choice, writing is this thing we do no matter what that makes us feel empowered rather than this thing we feel obligated to do because of some dream that we had when we were 10 years old. Just by looking at the languaging you're using in regards to your writing and making sure that every time you write, you say, I am choosing to go and write right now, especially if it is hard, that right away is going to create um, a neural pathway in your brain that will continue to make it easier and easier for you to write. Also, you won't be lying to yourself because you don't have to do anything. You don't need to do most things. I have to is just the biggest lie that people tell themselves, you know, a hundred times a day. And it just makes you feel shitty about your life because it makes you feel like, you're like, oh, I have to go to work. I'm like, no, you don't. You can totally not go to work and see what happens. You can totally get fired and see what happens. I'm not recommending it, but I'm saying it's a choice. And so by saying I choose to go to work, now you're like, wow, even though this is hard, even though I'm tired in the morning, even though I am a really responsible, great adult, and, and that makes you feel better about yourself and you feel better about your choices. And the more you find that appreciation for who you are and where you're at, the more likely you are going to do those things and make time for the things that really will make you happy, which hopefully that includes writing. I say any writing exercise can be helpful for someone when they're stuck. So I recommend that everyone goes out and just starts collecting writing exercises. Just get yourself a little folder in your Dropbox or your Google Docs, and when you hear of a cool writing assignment or exercise, just put it in there and you will eventually have this list and then you can wake up every day and just pull from that list. If you don't have one already, then just put on a song, because a lot of people are very affected by music. Sometimes I just put on a song and I listen, and I just write whatever truth starts coming out from that song. Or you can do it with a painting. You can do it with even a household appliance. I once wrote about 30 pages about the lock on the door at my coffee shop because I sat down and I was working on this TV pilot and it just was not happening. And so I recognized that I was blocked. And the interesting thing about feeling blocked at the moment is it's a very temporary thing. And I just looked up and the first thing I saw was this lock on the door of my coffee shop and I noticed how like scratched it was, but I noticed it was like scratched in this way that seemed too perfect. So I was like, oh, so this must have been a design element. And then for some reason it turned into this story about like these elves that work in the companies to like scratch up these locks and then then going home and seeing what type of locks he has on his own door. And like, this is ridiculous. Like it's, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's not anything I have any desire to actually show to another human being. But when I looked up and I realized that it had been two hours and I'd written dozens of pages, I was like, oh, you see, I'm not blocked. Anything that gets you writing, even if you're like, uh, oh, I had this one student the other day, she was so great. She was like, but Jessica, what if you're just numb? What if, cause you say, write whatever you're feeling. What if I feel nothing? And then I'm like, then write about the weirdness of feeling nothing, of feeling numb. Because numb is a feeling, right? Because everyone feels numb differently. When I feel numb, most of the time, if something really big emotional has happened to me and I go numb as a survival technique, it is a unique numbness where it feels like 
it's almost like I'm just in the wrapper of my body. But I know that there's all this like gooey chocolate and nougat underneath. I just don't have access to it at the moment, but I can sense it even though I'm numb to it. So you can just start on that and keep going, 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 going. Um, you can write about how you don't know what to write and get really deep and into that. Um, but really specifically, I would say, and this is actually a little bit less of a writing assignment, but I think it's actually more helpful because it will get you writing, which is one of the hardest things to do is just writing isn't so much hard as starting to write is very hard. Oh, an exercise that I think is very helpful is to get people into the correct area of their brain to write from. Because the reason that we tend to get stuck is because our focus in our brain is in a part of the brain that doesn't have access to novel thought or creativity. Rather than just giving any exercise, this is a really fabulous exercise that will put you into the part of the brain that gives you access to the most amount of creativity and novel thinking. It's kind of like doing 10 push-ups. If creativity is a muscle, which I believe it acts as a muscle, this is an amazing exercise that I would just recommend people do on a daily basis if they would like to become more creative. It's one of the few things that they've found in studies that helps very specifically that you can do. All you need is pen and paper and five minutes. If you allow yourself to do this before you write, you know you'll be writing from that creative part of your brain and you also know that you are learning how to access that part of your brain quicker and faster and how to trust it more often and build it up so that that muscle is bigger. So what you want to do is you want to get a piece of paper out or some cards, index cards, and write down 20 to 100 normal everyday objects. So chair, toothbrush, pen, umbrella, right? Just random stuff that we've all seen that we all know, stuff you might have lying around the house. And then you cut them up and you want to ball these up or fold them up and put them in a hat or in a box or something. And when you wake up and when you start to write, whatever item you pull out, you just say, I'm going to come up with, in five minutes, I'm gonna come with as many possible uses for this object other than the one it was originally invented for. The key here is not for them to be good uses, not to be correct. Like, in fact, they're supposed to be not correct. The goal here is to get as many as possible. Um, and so you time yourself because you want to be able to track how many you did today and how many you came up with the next day and see that number go up and up and up and up and up and up and up. The higher the number, the more powerful that muscle of creativity is. I've done this exercise with people. We usually do it in my class in about two to three minutes. And I've seen people came up with four things and I've had people come up with 36 things. And the more you do it, easier it becomes. And the, the reason why this expands our creativity is because creativity, if you were to look at it in the brain almost, it's almost like all the parts of the brain lighting up at once, like those sparkly, like on a Christmas tree, how some of the lights, like they go on and off. And so creativity is this ability for these lights to go on and off all the way from the top of the tree to the bottom of the tree to the left of the tree to the right of the tree, rather than it moving in this sort of logical snake-like pattern from one side to the other. So when you ask your brain again, when you remove the judgment, because your left side of the brain is going to say, oh, it's an umbrella. It's there to keep you from getting wet. And you're like, no, no, no. We are purposely looking for things that are incorrect. You shut down that judgment. You pull yourself out of the left side of the brain. You fully immerse yourself in the right side of the brain. 
and yeah, and you get to come up with all these wonderful things. Like an umbrella is just a, a, a tiny cocktail accessory for a giant in his martini, perhaps, or maybe it is used as a sword, or maybe it is used as a baseball bat. Um, and so you can come up with all of these different things, and this will put you, again, it will put you in that proper place of the brain where you're going to write more creatively and with less judgment. And again, if you do this consistently and you track that number, you know, you can really see that growth and in that improvement. So that's actually an exercise that I go to. I do it in a lot of my classes because it's something you can do over and over and over again. And you can really see the results of your process growing, even though it's not necessarily leading to story. It's just a really good exercise that I would recommend everybody does. I think some things in life just hunt you down. If someone had ever asked me up until maybe five years ago in my life, would you like to go do meditation? I probably would have laughed in their face, made fun of them and walked away. I would have made some remark about not being a hippie and wandered off. Without knowing it though, I started meditating at a very, very young age. Um, I grew up in a household that was not always peaceful and calm, but we had a lake in our backyard. And so when things got really crazy in the house, I would go out to the dock on the lake and I would sit and I would just watch the water and I would look at the moon and I would look at the way the moon is interacting with, you know, Mount Diablo, which was the mountain range bias aptly named for my hometown, I feel. And I would sit there and then eventually that turned into me writing poetry there. And so the process of meditating into writing came out of a need because there was so much craziness going on in my home. And um, yeah, and so that just sort of naturally happened. Uh, like I said, it honestly wasn't until I started working here at the studio and Jake was just like, well, tell me about your process. And he identified that as meditation. And I was like, I don't meditate. I've never taken a meditation class. And he was like, well, that's meditation, whether you realize you're doing it or not. So I started looking into it and I started doing it on purpose instead of accidentally and and yeah so now I love it and I think that the research I've also done on some of the most creative and ingenious people um, everywhere from the art world to the sports world to entrepreneurship Silicon Valley leaders of various nations the people who most people look at them and go wow that person is really amazing what they've done one of the things they all have in common is they all have a regular meditation practice and it's so ancient and it's so natural to the human body. Hence, I mean, otherwise I wouldn't have <laughs> tripped upon it when I was a child, but I didn't choose it, it kind of chose me. I will say this, going back on that other thing, I think an interesting point to take from the way that meditation developed for me as a writer, because I mean, now like that is what I do, that's what I love doing the most. And you know, it is my baby of a class where it's like no one else is really doing this the way that I'm doing it and I've managed to help so many people and I identify so much now as a teacher and, and truly love doing that and it's given so much meaning to my life and it has helped my writing so much and it has helped my ability to interact with the community and get a lot more gigs because of this mindfulness that I have. But I think it's important to realize that like the thing that will get you what you need is rarely the thing that you think it is. It's really the thing that you're you know, seeking after desperately. I mean, I could look back at my childhood and be like, screw you people. Like, you know, I could be very upset about 
growing up in the situation that I grew up in and that there are a lot of things that happened in my childhood that should we think should never happen to children. But honestly, if it wasn't for that trauma and that craziness, like I never would have stumbled upon this thing. And I think not to say that we should go out and create negative environments for children, um, but just the same way that also my dyslexia, you know, I grew up dyslexic and I would never go back and take that away because I was forced to be more creative and work harder than most kids in order to write. And that work ethic has gotten me much further than anything else. And so if you are in a situation where you think, oh, my home life doesn't isn't conducive to being a writer or this artist that I want to be or my situation or, or I'm dyslexic or English is my second language, like whatever it is that right now you think is getting in your way is probably actually the thing that is going to make you the unique writer you need to be in order to accomplish the dreams and, and get all the stuffs that you want. So I'd rather people take that away in regards to how do I apply this to my own life than you know just being like, oh, Jessica's childhood. There's a lot of lessons, really useful lessons I have learned in regards to creativity, writing, but also just being a, a functional human being. Um, that teaching the meditative writing class has led me to, I don't think there's a single week I don't teach where I don't either I'm reconfirming something that is was really revolutionary at one point in time in my mind to discover or really discovering something new because every single day, I mean, new cells are developing in our bodies. You know, you're not the same person right now that you were when you woke up this morning. So learning these lessons over and over again is extraordinarily helpful. And I do think that recognizing that, you know, obstacles aren't things that get in the, your way. Obstacles are things that you can either use to help you get where you're going or you can choose to let them be the excuse for why you didn't get there. But it's completely up to you um, what that's, that obstacle is used for. Recognizing just how impermanent everything is. Um, every time you revisit a memory, the memory changes. Every time you look at the wall, the actual image of that wall changes depending on what you are choosing to focus on. And so recognizing that there's nothing that is really permanent about us and that every part of the reality and every part of who you think you are as a writer is an active choice. It's an active story that you're choosing to tell yourself at that moment. Um, and that that's really the opposite of that is, is ego which is ego is really just the holding to a false permanence. Like if you wake up and you're like, well, I'm a writer, and you put yourself as a label of I'm a writer, and, and being a writer means the following things to you, um, there's gonna be a lot of fear. Because what if you write and then people don't like it, and then that makes you no longer a writer, it makes you a bad writer. And if, so if you're holding onto the ego of being a good writer, because you think being a good writer is something that is, can be a permanent state for you, it's gonna build a lot of fear because you're like, oh, I'm scared of losing this thing. But if you recognize that there's no such thing as a permanent state, you can't just be a writer, you can't be a good writer. You can choose to write and that will make you a writer that day, but only for that day, right? You're either writing or you're not writing. 
it all comes down to that recognizing that I am choosing to tell myself a story that there is a permanent state of something inside of me and that that's a false story, that that's not true, and that is making my life more difficult and it's making it harder for me to write. Anytime you feel fear, actually, fear really does come from ego, even if it's just the ego of being alive. You know, a lot of people have a fear of death and I'm like, that's just because you've got ego about being alive. Don't have ego about being alive. Recognize like, you know what, I might die tomorrow and that's okay. Being alive and walking this earth is a temporary state. And being a good writer is a temporary state because today, you being a good writer changes sentence to sentence. And all the most prolific writers that have lived have recognized that in order to be a prolific writer, you have to write lots of bad writing. Ernest Hemingway said the first draft of everything is shit. So really recognizing that just that the only reason writing is difficult or is hard for you is because you were telling yourself a story about your writing. And most of the time it comes from this clinging of, again, this false permanence. No writer is everything they write is great. That just doesn't happen. You know, there's no singer where every note they hit is great. It's just they're really smart and they only show people the best stuff. And I think that that's something that's been easier for me to experience with writing, but has been very hard for me to experience in other parts of my life as a friend, as a daughter, as a significant other, you know, just having a harder time being kind to myself, which I think most writers could really work on. I think one of the most powerful things I've learned from from meditative writing and from teaching meditative writing is that every single moment you have the ability to tell yourself a story that is absolutely true and helps you to become the writer you want to become rather than clinging to a story that may or may not be true but it is making you harder for you to write because it's serving this ego people call it fear but again all fear sort of comes back to the ego of attachment when we get attached to our home, so we're scared to lose our job, right? And we see how this can just cycle down. So yeah, I think that's probably been a really effective lesson for me, personally. I've had so many fears. Death has never been one of them. I was diagnosed with three different type of anxiety disorders. I was on like three different kinds of medication. I was scared of speaking even to another human being. Even a barista was hard for me. And the reason why I think I'm not scared of death because there were times in my life where things were so shitty, where I was so miserable and unhappy that like I'd be on a plane and I'd be like, what if the plane goes down? And honestly, what all I felt was relief. And I was like, great, if I die, I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to figure out how to you know, keep a 4.0 in order to keep my scholarship in school. And I don't have to figure out how I'm gonna become a famous writer and I don't have to deal with my family and like it just, I was so overwhelmed, I was so scared of everything that death actually just seemed like a, a way out. And I don't recommend people pushing it that far, I certainly hope. I am more scared of crickets than I am of dying. And even when I engage in activities that are a bit more dangerous, like skydiving or I guess that I'm crossing the street in New York City, which is actually more dangerous than being in a plane, yeah, hugging a lion does not scare me, hunting does not scare me, but crickets. And so dove into that and been like, what is this ego really about? If I can see the danger and keep my eye on it, I am like, all right, we're cool as long as I see it. But what I've always gotten hurt the most 
when I wasn't able to see that there was something dangerous, where like the danger, like charming nice people, that on the inside they're very dangerous, that's actually what's harmed me the most. So the fact that a cricket can jump so quickly and that I can't just keep my eye on it, that does make more sense. If I can see a poisonous snake, that's fine. If I can watch it move, but anything that can go from here to here in a blink of an eye feels more threatening to me due to things that I've been through. Anytime we choose to go after something we want, whether it's writing a screenplay or going to the gym or being able to dance the samba, every single time you interact with that activity, you are either feeding the beast of success or you are feeding the beast of failure. You got two beasts on either side. And so for some of us, we have tried to write or we've tried to go to the gym and we have failed so many times that our beast of failure has morphed into this 18 foot gremlin monster thing that is just so intimidating and big. And our beast of success is this like little cute chihuahua. And it's just, you know, that beast of failure is so big and overwhelming that it feels impossible. So if we think about the accomplishment of goals, especially very difficult goals as I want to continue to feed the beast of success so that it becomes so overwhelmingly large that that beast of failure is so tiny and insignificant that it no longer is very effective. The key to this is looking at your goal setting in a very specific way. If you say, I want to run the New York City Marathon today, well, guess what? Your brain is going to do a little analysis and it's going to say, that's impossible and it's going to flood your brain with the stress hormone, and then you are going to not engage in that activity, and then you are going to feed the beast of failure. So I'm sure many people have done this where you think, I wanna work on my script, and you sit down to write, and then suddenly, you know, that's this, this energy takes over you that you might call writer's block, or, you know, which is just getting up and, and walking away, or just staring at your screen. And then you get to the end of that time you were supposed to be writing and you think, wow, I wrote nothing, I'm a failure. And then you feed the beast of failure and your brain floods with cortisol. So this beast of failure really is just this kind of metaphor for the stress hormone being released into the brain. And so the next time you sit down to write, your brain's gonna remember, oh, we flooded with the stress hormone the last time we did this, we fed the beast of failure we don't want to do that because your brain really doesn't like being a failure. Your brain does not like feeding the beast of failure. Your brain really just wants to get that dopamine. That's why drug addictions happen because most drugs, they mess with dopamine in the brain and, and they flood the brain with dopamine and your brain goes, yes, 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 we want to do that all the time. That's like suddenly your beast of success is really huge. And most people have really good intentions. They sit down and they're like, oh, I want to be like a great screenwriter. And they're like, I want to aim for the stars and I want to do like everything. And that is awesome to fantasize about. But when you set your goals so high that they are not capable of being accomplished in that day, you are working against your brain chemistry and you are choosing to feed a beast of failure. And if every time you do something, you fail, you are going to stop doing it. But if every time you do something, your brain floods with cortisol and you feel successful and that beast of success grows up to be a giant like mine is like this 72 foot dragon who I love because it's very difficult to find parking for a 72 foot dragon, but it makes me feel very safe when I'm walking around in Brooklyn. So this comes from being really smart and using this brain chemistry in your favor. So when you sit down to write, making sure that you absolutely write a goal because what's happening if you don't write down your goal 
is you are leaving that goal up to whatever image is popping up from your unconscious mind. So if you sit down to write, and I'll use an example from the last time I fed my beast of failure accidentally, I was working on a book, and this was a book that was sort of intersecting you know, the science research I've been doing with the creative work that I do. And since I've never, since I don't have a degree in the sciences, I just have a master's in writing, I sat down to work on this book and I immediately just like my whole body was like, nope, nope, nope. And my limbic system tripped and I like ran away and I fed my beast of failure. And so I did what I do with my students, which is I asked them, I'm like, all right, what was that thing that popped up into your head in between? I'm going to sit down to write and there's no way I'm writing right now. And I found that it was an image of I had projected into the future an image of an Amazon.com review of my book. And essentially it was this review of someone saying, what does this woman know about the sciences? Like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She doesn't have a degree in the sciences. This is bullshit. And when I realized that, let's just think about how silly that is, okay? So I am sitting down to write the first page of the first draft of a book that maybe I will choose to try to publish and maybe someone will actually say yes to publishing and then would actually have to get published and then someone would have to be crazy enough to buy it and then not like it and then review it. And that is so far ahead of what's happening that it's not, it's not helpful in any way, shape or form. And so since I didn't choose my goal first, since I didn't manage the craziness of our brain and our ability to jump into the future back into the past, I set a goal of publishing this piece and then getting rejected already. So that, that's impossible to do. I can't sit down and write my book and publish it and have someone read it and review it all in one sitting, right? So that's not a very helpful goal. But if you, you were, I were to sit down and I see that image even pop up into my head, I can then manage that monkey part of my brain that wants to run away to the future and say, you know, I am not here to write this book and have it positively reviewed. Like my job right now is simply to write one page of my book and that I absolutely can accomplish. And if you make the goal so simple, so small that you're like, of course I could do that. You're going to be feeding the beast of success and then dopamine's going to flood your brain. And then the next day you sit down to write, you're going to be like, oh yeah, that was really great. We got a lot of dopamine. My beast of success is building higher and higher. And essentially you get to a place where writing feels as easy as putting your shoes on. Because unless some of us are raging alcoholics, we all have been successful putting on our shoes like the past 150 times we put on our shoes, right? So putting on your shoes and writing, it's the same thing. It's just basic motor skills. You know, it's just your body moving around doing something. So if you set your goal every single time you write, and you make sure it's a goal that feels so easy, right? You're just like, ugh, anyone could do that. I could definitely do that today. Then you know you're gonna be feeding the beast of success. And looking at taking care of that process first, eventually you will end up with a product. Because the, the place where most people push back on me on this is they're like, well, no, I wanna get my screenplay done by this, I, like, I, wanna, I wanna get it done so much quicker. And I'm like, yes, but if you work with your brain chemistry to make it easier for you to write, you will get done quicker. Because the reason why people don't make it in the industry is, is less about the story and the industry being difficult. It's more about the fact that they just give up, that they stop writing because writing is so hard to them. And the key here is that writing wasn't always hard. 
most of us wrote fine when we were kids, right? And this kind of goes back to the idea of the ego, right? But then one day we decided we were going to become a writer and we cling to this permanent thing. And so we can help avoid that clinginess that gets in our way by, you know, just again, I mean, if you want to call it New Year's resolutions, that's fine every single time you write. But ask yourself, this is a question that a lot of people, you know, outside of the industry who are really obsessed with process ask themselves, which is anytime you're faced with a difficult task, with something that feels impossible, you just ask yourself, what would this look like if it were really easy? And with, screen, with, with writing, and I think about that book, and I'm like, what would it look like if this were really easy? And I was like, well, if I only had to write one page, because I know I can write one page. And that's great, because you know what? All books, every book that has ever been written was written one page at a time. And if I told you right now that all of you, I don't know all of you listening, but everyone in this room right now could walk to San Francisco next year, that seems like this crazy, impossible task. You're like, no, what? It's like over 3,000 miles. I can't walk to San Francisco. Guess what? You absolutely could. Because if you think about it, if you set the goal of walking to San Francisco, your brain right now thinks about it and it goes, we can't do that right now. We can't do that today. We can't accomplish that in one sitting. And so it stresses your brain out. And, and, but if I told you, can you take 10 steps to the west today? Your brain's like, well, yeah, I probably do that every day in my apartment. It's like, that's all you got to do to walk from here to San Francisco is you just take 10 steps to the west every single day and eventually you will end up in San Francisco. And the same is true for writing a screenplay or a novel or a book or whatever you want to work on, which is you cannot do more than writing one word at a time. And even if your goal is only to write 10 words every day, you will get there. And by making the goal so easy that you have absolutely no excuse not to do it every day, you're going to end up writing more because again, you are priming your brain, you're feeding that beast of success. When your beast of success is huge, there's no fear. If you're only feeling a dopamine release, if you're only feeding your beast of success every 10 years, there's no way that you're gonna keep doing this thing and, and keep giving yourself to this thing. Imagine being in a relationship where you only got a thank you every 10 years. Hopefully you would leave that person, right? Um, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful, whatever helps you more. If you're, if you're more of a scientific person, then you can really think about it as, let me make sure I'm getting a dopamine release every single time I write, which means you know, picking a goal that is so easy, I cannot fail at it. Or if you're more, you know, if metaphors and visuals work stronger for you, really, really visualize your beast of success and your beast of failure and really see them. Like my beast of success is, I'm not kidding you, it's this giant Chinese dragon. And I, there's this empty lot across from the coffee shop I write at. And I'm like, that's where I park my dragon because it's the only place where he fits. And I have this relationship to it and it's wonderful. And there's some times where I, it can feel very difficult and I can feel scared. And you know, my dragon pops up and I see that dragon and I'm like, yes, I don't have to be scared. I got this 72 foot dragon hanging out with me. And my beast of failure also, you know, he's very tiny and small. And right now he, he's like a little worm to my side, and, and I'm not gonna be mean to him. I don't think people should be mean to their beasts of failure. They, they deserve a little bit of love too. But just allowing that beast of failure to be small enough that you can take care of it, and you can hold it, and you can actually feel sorry for it, and, and have compassion for it, and recognize that our failures are part of what make us really awesome. But 
small enough where it's manageable, where it's not going to be taken over, it's not going to be pulling you around on the leash. Whichever one of those metaphors speaks to your mind, um, I would just say this, if you're going to set goals, make sure, again, it is something that feels super easy to accomplish. Pick something that feels really easy and then cut it in half and make it even that much easier. And just make sure it's completely objective so that you can't talk your way out of it. Because sometimes we'll want to be kind of mean to ourselves and, uh, and try to convince ourselves that we didn't do it. So picking something subjective like good pages doesn't help because we've all had that experience where we write something and we're like, this is amazing. And then you read it the next day and you're like, wow, that's a giant pile of turd. Uh, why did I ever think that was good? And then you read it a year later and you're like, this is amazing. So pick objective things like three pages is going to be far more effective than good pages. Also, just know that you know good and bad is different to different people. So I just had an argument today with a writer friend of mine about whether the movie Noah I was like, well, like Noah, right? You know, Darren Aronofsky. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. He was like, that movie was amazing. I was like, that movie was a giant turd. What are you talking? And we, and I couldn't believe because I respect this person. So get the opinions out. Like pick something objective that you're like, I know for a fact that I cannot talk myself out of this being a really great goal. Um, and I would say, yeah, whether you're doing it for New Year's or you're doing it for every single day when you write, which you should be, setting those goals specifically and be like, I'm gonna feed my beast of success. I'm gonna use the brain chemistry inside of my head to help me get where I want to go. Because if you're not, you are actively choosing failure. You are actively choosing to make things harder for you. And if you realize that you keep actively choosing to make things harder for yourself in getting what you want, guess what? Internally, you've got two different belief systems going on that are struggling with each other and you need to go in there and figure out how you can make both of them serve or how you can get rid of one of those belief systems so that you can do those things that you want to do. So either it's going to immediately transform you and help you to get the dopamine release and, and to move forward and making writing easier, or it's going to point to what the problem is, and then you gotta dig in there and figure that out, which is a whole other process of stuff. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information about the challenge or to officially join, you can go to our website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash challenge. And remember to join us on January 8th for writing exercises and writing space at the studio. You can also zoom into that online, just like our classes. We're going to open that online to anyone who wants to join. You can find about that as well at writeyourscreenplay.com slash challenge. And then mark your calendars for our January 20th party when after 20 days of writing, we're all going to show up together and celebrate a year at the studio and 20 days of fabulous writing. So happy holidays from the studio. I hope that you have a wonderful holiday, whatever you celebrate, and a very happy new year. Mm -hmm.